Welcome to the Superpowers for Good Show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Tim Stay is the CEO of The Other Side Academy, a growing nonprofit social enterprise that serves as a voluntary alternative to prison. Now the organization is planning to build a community for chronically unsheltered people. He'll also share insights about his superpower, solving problems, and selective negligence. Tim, my good friend, uh, it is so good to see you again. I'm so grateful that you'd be willing to do the show again. Uh, We had you on uh, once or twice before years ago, and I'm thrilled uh, to have you back. But you and I first got to know each other nearly 20 years ago in another business life when we were both engaged in other things. And it is so good to see the good you're doing now. Um, You're the CEO of The Other Side Academy, which is a remarkable program. But rather than have me introduce it, why don't you tell us about The Other Side Academy? Great. Um, The Other Side Academy was founded in 2015. And you were, even before we had our first student, you were supportive. You allowed us to come on and talk about what we were willing to do. And your coverage really helped establish some credibility among people. So you've been a dear friend, a supporter throughout our history, and we really appreciate it. The Other Side Academy is a nonprofit. It's for people who've um, destroyed their lives through addiction, through criminal behavior, through chaos and destruction in their personal lives, and who haven't been able to find a way to succeed in society. Uh, They may be living on the streets. They may be in and out of jail. And the Other Side Academy is a place that they can come to and learn how to put their lives back together and learn how to be successful coming back into society. And and it's working, right, Tim? I mean, yeah, that's that's the exciting part is we we're seeing lives changed. Our average student's been arrested 25 times. 90 percent of them have been homeless. Um, all of them have battled addictions. And as our graduates come out, those who, it's a two and a half year program, so it's a long program, those that complete the program, when you look at all of our graduates we've had over the last five years, we, from going from nearly 100% recidivism, going back to jail incarceration, we've seen that drop down to 12%. And if they stay with us, um, an extra six months voluntarily, we see that drop to 4%, the recidivism rate. Um, wow. And 62% of our students elect to choose on their own to stay longer than the required time. That's pretty amazing. Uh, one of the interesting things that uh, the Other Side Academy does, modeled somewhat you can tell me how closely on Delancey Street in San Francisco, which has been replicated in a few other places. But it, it, the, one of the keys is that the, uh, the, the students in the program are running businesses. And the key business in Salt Lake is moving. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that all works. So a lot of places you can go to to try to put your life together and they'll talk about how to live the right kind of life. And they'll have classes on it and they'll talk at the other side Academy. We don't have a lot of classes. We mostly spend 
Our students mostly spend their day practicing how to live the right kind of life. And when they mess up, and we know they will, and we expect that, and that's part of the learning opportunity, when they mess up, they'll get really intense peer feedback. We don't have any doctors or counselors. It's just other people who've changed their lives, helping mentor and guide those who are working on changing their lives. So all of our staff that run operations are former felons, former addicts, former uh, people who came from the exact same background as our current students are. So they, they see that and it creates hope in them. So when someone's on, rather than just say these social enterprises are a side effort to generate funds to support the nonprofit, that's where the learning happens is during the workday. During the workday, when you have real customers, when you have the real pressures, all those underlying behaviors show themselves. It's hard for those. It, it's really easy to sit in a class or in a group session and hide what you're really feeling. But when you're in that pressure of, of, um, of the real workday with all of the frustrations and you've got a friction with the boss and friction with your coworker and the customers making absurd demands, all of those things add up and that pressure makes those underlying behaviors come out. And that's our learning opportunity. So in, in the process of, of um, working is where, uh, if you'd call it such, the therapy happens. That's when, because we don't believe it's the drugs that are the problem. We believe that it's the underlying behaviors that led to the addiction, that led to the criminal activities, that those are the problems. And that's what we're working on. So as people practice doing the right thing long enough and getting feedback on them over hundreds and hundreds of days, over a couple of years, they start, it starts feeling normal. It starts feeling like this is how I can live my life in a, in an orderly, productive manner, and I put the chaos and destruction behind me. And so when we go out on a move, if, if someone's not um, working hard, the other crew members will call them out on it and say, hey, we're all working hard. What's up with you? You know, if someone, um, if we say we'll be there at eight, we're there 10 minutes early. You know, always, because we make and keep promises. That's one of our principles. If we say, we'll call you back, we always call you back, you know. And it's amazing to do, a, you know, what some might consider a blue-collar industry to provide superior customer service where you keep your word and, it, and you're, it's reliable um, and dependable and you take accountability for things. People just rave about um, the performance. We've consistently been the top-rated moving company in the Salt Lake area since we've we've opened. Um, we won Best of Salt Lake. We've won Best of Utah. We've won the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur Award. All the things that a normal business would, you know, be really proud of. We're doing this as a nonprofit with people who've, um, with ex-felons and addicts coming in and moving valuables. Um, we say we, we're really good at moving valuables, but 
and had a lot of experience doing it. But now they're uh, going out the front door instead of out the window. <laughs> well, Tim, it is just remarkable, remarkable that you have been able to take formerly incarcerated individuals and make a business out of <laughs> moving stuff out of the front door instead of out of the window. I mean, that really is truly, truly remarkable. I want to just ask the question that's going through the minds of everyone who's listening. And that is how do people get to where they trust your folks to do this? I mean, there, there's a, the, the trust wall would seem to be impossible to hurdle. And yet, as you point out, you become the most highly rated and, and it's, you, you really have become the dominant player in this space. I live here in Salt Lake. And so I see your trucks everywhere and, and there are almost no other moving trucks left. I mean, th you have a lot of trucks. How many trucks do you have? We have 11 in Salt Lake and five in Denver. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're keeping guys busy. So tell us, how did you get over that trust wall? Well, we did a few things when we first launched to try to help establish that trust. Um, one of the early things we did, we heard the Salt Lake City Police was moving their offices. And it was a really large move. It took three days to manage. But we approached them and said, we'd like to volunteer our services to move you. And it was really a unique experience because some of the same police officers had arrested some of the same students that were moving their gear and, and they were actually the police officers were a little trip are they going like us or what are they going to feel but by the end of the three days there was a camaraderie between them they both saw each other in different lights um and and it was a great experience and they were the salt lake city police were kind enough to allow us to um capture some video footage and there was a new segment and so you know the other thing that we did, a uh, local uh, radio talk show host on drive time, we heard he was moving and we approached him and he was um, willing to do a video about um, his experience, you know, and he had a lot of credibility in the local market. So a couple of those things. But today, it really is people go on Yelp and, and go ahead and look on Yelp reviews, look at the other side movers, look on Google reviews, look on you know, the, the Sumpack and these other um, sites, and you'll see hundreds of five-star reviews. And people mostly, often they'll hire us not knowing our background, and then when they get to know us um, and hear our story, they fall in love. Um, and truth be told, any mover that you hire um, is often going to have people with... Um, felonies and and other challenges that they have they're just not going to be upfront about it like we are that's an interesting interesting point that you make and it's a, such a great great history well tim now you've got uh an amazing interesting challenging new project that you're working on at the other side academy and this is really innovative and that very few people around the country have done it. And I can't think of anyone who would do it better than you, but you're building a little community of, of tiny homes for people in the homeless community. Tell us about the other side village. 
we've seen a challenge, like I mentioned before, our students, 90% of them have spent time homeless in and out of the streets. 10% of them have been homeless for five years or more. So clearly in that chronically homeless population. So we, we feel like we've, we understand the problem. We've been part of local committees and councils and, and task force you know, as the city and the county and the state have looked at this issue for a long time. And um, we realize that at the Other Side Academy, where we're a working environment, people with mental health challenges, people with physical disabilities, people who are required to be on medication to be able to cope, that's not a good fit at the academy. And we realized there was part of the population we weren't serving well. And we said if we did it, we needed to look at a slightly different model than what we're doing at the academy. As we, um, there, were, there were a couple of events that coalesce are thinking about this. Um, one was a visit to some good friends of ours at, in Austin, Texas, um, Alan Graham is, is the founder of an organization called Mobile Loaves and Fishes. Um, they've been doing outreach to the homeless for the last 30 years. But around the same time we organized, they started a new project called Community First, where they started a tiny home village outside of Austin that now has close to 400 homes. And when we, we've known them for a number of years, but we never got out to visit them until uh, this last January. And we went out, visited them. And one of the things that hit us is it felt like home. They had been able to take people from the chaos of the streets and, and the squalor and the despair and put them into a loving, supportive community that took care of each other and held each other accountable. And we said, we know that feeling because that's what's happened at the academy. Just imagine at the academy, we have our campus in downtown Salt Lake. It's been, we've been there since 2015. A hundred former felons and addicts have, have lived there. We haven't had one police call. Uh, we haven't had any violence. Uh, our students ha have been able to stay drug-free. They're tested regularly by APNP. We've cleaned up the neighborhood. Our neighbors love us. We're good community partners. Um, and the property values around us have increased. We saw those same things in Austin. The, they haven't had any incidents of crime committed by the residents of the village. Property values around them have increased. There's some beautiful um, developments going up right next door to them. You know, it hasn't been, oh, we want to stay away. And so as we saw this, we said, we think we could take a lot of what we know about peer accountability and also self-reliance and apply it into a homeless uh, situation, uh, and providing uh a solution for those who are homeless. And and as we looked at the homeless kind of arc of services, it started out with kind of a housing first model. We're just, we're going to put them in a home and that'll help stabilize them and then we can start dealing. 
And that kind of evolved into a housing first with wraparound services. Let's get them mental health services. Let's get them medical services. Let's get them access to, um, you know, other things that they might need. But what we haven't seen is then taking it the next step further of saying, let's create a strong community that holds people accountable and expects uh, change to happen in their lives because they still have a lot of those underlying behaviors, even though they're in a house and even though they're getting medication or getting um, medical care, some of the underlying behaviors that led to their homelessness hasn't changed. And that's what we think we can bring to the, to the marketplace is that we could bring a model and, and the, the other innovative part is we believe we can do it and be self-reliant. And then we're not tied in. There's some really restrictive housing. You know, if you get federal funds for housing, you, you have to do this, you can't do that. You, and sometimes it's not in the best interest of the residents. Um, and so by us being self-reliant, by running social enterprises, we feel like we can do what's best for the resident. You know, sometimes they, you, you lose your housing money because you start earning too much money. And if we're self-reliant, it doesn't matter. if, As long as you're paying rent, it doesn't matter if you're earning $1,000 a month or if you're earning $5,000 a month, if you're still being a contributing member to the community. We hope people can, can go up the income ladder. Yeah. So, so as we thought about those things, we said, we think we have the bandwidth. We think we have the something to contribute to this. And so we're going to, we're going to create something we don't think exists anywhere else. But it, it is an interesting model. And uh, certainly I love what you do with self-reliance as a principle, uh, not especially at the uh, business entity. I think that's great. Um, and I see why it's strategically important, but, but, the way you teach self-reliance at the individual level, uh, I love. Because I think the people who participate, because I've talked to several of them uh, over the years, and they believe deeply that they are self-reliant and responsible for themselves. And yet, behind that strong, strident belief, we see you and I, and perhaps you think about this differently, but, but I see a strong community that supports them. I see an, a plan and a program that supports people. And so in some ways, it's a, I hate to call it this, but it is sort of a fake self-reliance, but they develop that real strength so that, and it's, we see it in the uh, recidivism, recidivism numbers, right? that they actually become much more self-reliant, making able to independently make good decisions, right? And, and so I think what I see is the epitome of self-reliance training programs. And, but it, it seems to me it'll be a, a different challenge at the village. And maybe you can talk about that because I think the group you want to put there are people who are unable or maybe unwilling, but maybe just unable 
to qualify for the other side academy where they would be doing physical labor and other things. How are you going to be able to develop that same culture in the village? Yeah, we believe that, um, you know, eight, maybe 80% of the people who are on the streets have some level of uh, mental illness, mental disabilities, physical disabilities. So it's going to be, um, and most of them have, uh, you know, drug issues that, that they're dealing with on top of that. Um, which just exacerbate all the other problems. Um, so one of the things we're doing is we're having an on-site medical clinic. We're having a mental health clinic. We're having a dental. We're, um, we're even going to have a space for a veterinarian to come in and take care of their pets on a regular basis. Um, because many of them, uh, a pet is the companion that they, that they use to help cope with things. Um, so we're going to have, and we'll have professionals. We're already working with a couple of um, uh, places in the Valley that um, provide these services, have been doing it for a long time. They're really experts at doing this. And so we'll partner with them and they'll provide those services. Um, but we think um, one of the things that we often see is people say, well, they've got some mental health challenges, so we just need to provide everything for them. It's the same as what's often done for addicts, saying, you know, it's a disability, so we're just going to take care of you. And we we reject that. We think there's, you know, to, to borrow the phrase, the soft bigotry of low expectations. One of the things that confirmed it for us is earlier this summer, we went to a place in Spain, north of Barcelona, in the Catalonia region, it's called La Fajeda. And they were started in the early 70s by a guy named Cristobal Colon, Christopher Columbus, if you can believe it. <laughs> um, and he was a psychotherapist and he went into one of the mental health institutions, they, they call them insane asylums at the time, and he saw the conditions there and, and they were horrific. You know, people chained to the floor, the people not you know, just terrible, terrible conditions. And he said, no human should ever have to live like this. And so he said, we can expect something from them rather than just warehouse people. And so he started bringing people out of the, out of the institution onto a farm that he was able to acquire. And over time, today they have over 300 people who have some level of mental illness and another hundred and plus people who are just from the the community working at this on this farm producing one of the top rated brands of yogurt in in spain and um and they they generate like 30 million euros a year um and what they've seen as people, people with these, some of them very severe mental illness, you know, schizophrenic and bipolar and people who won't function if they don't have their medication, but being involved in something meaningful, being involved in something that they can have pride in, being involved in a community, a supportive community. Um, they've seen the amount of medication drop. They've seen the number of episodes drop. 
They've seen the suicides drop. Um, and and one of the things we learned from them is they have the ability to kind of turn dials for each individual. So if one person does better outside than inside, they can find a place for them. If someone is only really able to be productive for one hour a day, um, they can accommodate them. If someone um, does really good at routine you know, work on an assembly line and they're kind of dialed into that, they can do that. If someone works better in a social environment versus or someone else might give them individual tasks because they don't work well in social environments. So they have all these dials that they can turn to help find a place that meets the capacity and the abilities of the individual. So we're focusing on building that kind of social enterprise that can allow for that kind of flexibility. Wow, it's uh, an inspiring model to try to replicate, uh, especially in the way you're doing it. I, I I live downtown Salt Lake, and I see that uh, it, it appears to me, even as uh, Salt Lake is as prosperous as it has ever been, and the construction of magnificent new skyscrapers and apartment, you know, tall skyscraping luxury apartments are, are being built all around town. Uh, I haven't seen homelessness worse in all my years, uh, nearly 20 years downtown. So this is a, a critical problem that uh, needs to be addressed. I'm so excited that you're addressing it. Um, what are the obstacles you're facing now between you and, and implementing and building this village and bringing it really into reality? What's, what, what's holding you back at this point? Well, part of it is just a process where we've identified some land. The city has been wonderful. Salt Lake City has been wonderful. Mayor Mendenhall has really um, been a leader in this process. Um, she's um, uh, agreed to partner with us in this process, and we're working with the city right now on a parcel. Um, it's got some environmental challenges, so we'll have to go through some, some, uh, there's some soil comp- contamination, but it's not extensive. It's more selected. And so we're working with the Department of Environmental Quality to do some cleanup of these selected sites on the property. Just make sure it's, you know, it's completely safe for residential use. And, you know, we care not just for the, the residents, but much many of our staff are going to be living on site. So, you know, it, it's important to us, too, that it's a safe place um, for people to live. And then we've got the, uh, we're doing community outreach. Um, we had an open house. We left flyers and door hangers to all of the surrounding neighbors to come ask questions. We had a lot of people come. You know, some were really skeptical. And by the end of the evening, most were going away saying, this really is an asset. Because we're not just building, you know, four 430 tiny homes, we're building all these amenities that will be available to the surrounding neighborhood. You know, the area we're looking at is kind of a food desert. So we'll have a grocery store that the neighbors could utilize. We're building a hair salon and a deli and a coffee shop and, and a barber shop. And so the surrounding, and those will all be staffed by residents of the, of the village, but also the surrounding neighborhood can come and frequent and, 
have access to it. We're looking at having where we can have community events, um, an auditorium where we could have community meetings or political debates, uh, concerts, so we could have, you know, the Utah Symphony come and perform. We could have different uh, local and national performers come and perform that not just the residents of the village can be part of, but the surrounding neighborhood can participate. Oh, that's fantastic. That is just so exciting. What a great vision. Well, Tim, uh, you have accomplished a lot in your career. Uh, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, I admire you tremendously and I'm grateful for our long friendship. What, is, what do you think of as your superpower? Um, I don't feel like I'm an expert in any one area. I do feel like I'm, and it probably goes back to my engineering background that I started as a civil engineer. Um, I, I feel like I am a problem solver and that, and, you know, I'm doing things that I have never had any exposure to, you know, in environmental cleanup or, you know, um, large housing development or things like that. But I know how to learn enough to understand the issues. I know how to work through a problem and find solutions to it. And, and, you know, in my position, things change, you know, there's a hundred different things that I need to be looking at. And I think the other part um, is I seem to be able to identify um, and focus on the things that matter the most. And, and, and sometimes I neglect the things that aren't important, but, um, I call that selective negligence that you, yeah you, the things that aren't very critical, you put to the side until you have a spare moment, but focus on the most critical things, the things that are on the critical path that will keep you from moving forward. And I think those are, the problem solving and being able to identify those, I think, are things that have served me well. Yeah, those are really powerful superpowers. How do you think you developed those abilities, especially the, the, the problem solving and the prioritizing both? How did, how did you develop those skills? Um, I don't know if, if some of it was... You know, I think it was probably a combination of environment and and um, genetics. You know, I, I was always drawn to, you know, becoming an engineer really intrigued me, being able to figure out and, and see something in your mind and then see it exist. Um, that's one of the things I was really surprised getting into business when I tran transformed from being an engineer to being an entrepreneur is that same sense of, of satisfaction of saying, okay, I come up with a business plan and I think, and I try to understand all, all the variables and then being able to implement it and make it a reality. Um, that same sense of satisfaction and, and excitement and, and that, that really rewards me. And, and then, you know, incredibly fortunate being able to then use the 
these talents into doing something that is meaningful and is impacting and helping lives change, you know, what a tremendous um, blessing it has been for me to be able to be involved in doing something that, that matters. Do you think that those skills have really made a difference in helping you have an impact and do more good? Do, do, do they help? Do you, do you look back and say, Oh, I see we're doing that really did help here and here and here. Yeah, I think so. You know, we've been able to, you know, we're, we're $5 million a year organization right now. Um, and, and outside of the operational, uh, we, we have a very, um, you know, we don't have a CFO. We don't have a, um, we don't have a full-time accountant. We don't have a in-house legal counsel, you know, being able to take all of those issues and, and handle them myself, I think is save the organization funds. And I also think, um, kind of the thinking the, through the strategy of where we need to go, how we need to expand as I think it has helped put us or put us in the right place at the right time to be able to take advantage of opportunities and really be able to grow and expand um, like we have. Yeah. Well, that you certainly have accomplished a lot. You certainly have accomplished a lot. How, how would you suggest people learn uh, to be more effective problem solvers and prioritizers? Um, you know, the, on the priority, um, one of the skills that I learned early was the, the Covey process of, you know, write out the things you need to do and then create an A list, a B list and a C list. And then if you need to prioritize your A list and, and, and things like that, I don't know if I'm always that formal, but that process has served me well. Um, yeah, to be able to focus on saying, okay, what has to get done? And I operate better when I have a, a deadline. Um, uh, we all and, do. Yeah. <laughs> what about the uh, problem solving? Any tips for how people can learn to be better problem solvers? Um, I think a big part of it is identifying what the problem is. Um, and, and not letting the day-to-day rush of demands determine what the problem is, but to be able to step back and say, okay, what are the biggest issues that we're facing? Um, and what are we going to do about it? And, you know, and for a while for us, the biggest issue was capacity. So what are we going to do about it? So we... There was an apartment building next door and it wasn't for sale, but we went and found the owner and approached him and said, would you, you know, would you consider selling to us? And at first, no, I don't want to sell. But over a year, he finally opened up and said, um, you know what? I think I'm ready to sell. Um, and, and, but that was a direct result of saying, of us identifying saying, if we want to keep growing, we need, more capacity and in, in finding a solution to it. 
Yeah, that's great. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this chat. Uh, it's so good to reconnect and the progress, the results, the outcomes, and still the vision for the future and f- further innovation. I couldn't be more impressed, and I'm I'm really excited for you. Before you go, would you just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more of, about the Other Side Academy, and if you will, how they can connect with you? Certainly. Um, and what I've learned in doing this is almost all of us have someone in our lives that we know, a friend, a family member, a relative that is battling addiction, who's been in and out of trouble uh, and just can't seem to turn the corner. And uh, we invite anyone, there's no cost to participate at the Other Side Academy, just a commitment to, to, to the two and a half years, and it will be life-changing. And we encourage anyone who who knows someone, who loves someone who's in that place or someone who's in that place is listening, go to theothersideacademy.com. And and we've got a number of videos that kind of will give you a flavor for what life is like at the Academy. Um, read that, and if you're interested, there'll be a place on there of how you can apply or how you can contact us to, uh, to get admittance into the Other Side Academy. If people are interested in the Other Side Village, we have a website, theothersidevillage.com, and uh, there's a place on there. Um, you can send an email to build at theothersidevillage.com, and uh, you'll be able to. We'll respond back and let you know and about and explore ways that you might be able to contribute. Fantastic. Well. Tim, thank you very, very much for joining us. We just can't thank you enough, and we wish you every success in your extraordinary efforts to save people and make Salt Lake City better. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you always, Devin. Thank you so much for your great support. All righty. Let's do some good. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show twice each week. We host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit DevonThorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.